is James Sexton, and he is from Main Ridge Estate in Mornington Peninsula. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on a Sunday morning, James. I know that you're literally about to open cellar door. Is that right? Uh, yeah, we've got, I think we've got about 50 odd people coming for lunch. So I literally oh. just dropped the vacuum pack and poured myself a coffee and decided to join you for a bit of a break. So. Oh, look, and it's going to be a fun break. Don't worry, I'll make sure that, uh, oh, that we're wrapping up in, in time for you to open the doors. Uh, so let's start there. I mean, your cellar door, it's so beautiful. I was very lucky. Um, uh, Mike and I visited you back in, it would have been late May. Yeah. Uh, you were popping in from the tractor and we had been recommended to uh, to try you because your Pinot Noir and your Chardonnay really are outstanding. We certainly Thank walked you. away with a, with a few. So okay. tell us about the cellar door and the cellar door experience. You, you have 50 people for lunch, so you obviously do food. Tell, take us through the whole experience. Yeah, so, um, so I guess the history of our property, our family and I, we took over the property well, coming up on 10 years, so late 2015. And... Um, our family's background prior to that was restaurants and catering, and um, we sort of entered the wine industry as a as a way of you know taking on a different career path for all of us. But then old habits die hard, and I think one day I was at the tasting bench and decided to give away some complimentary nuts. And then the next week we thought maybe we could sell some cheese boards. And nowadays, yeah, we have a full set menu restaurant service, and plus sort of can't drinks and we can you can come in for tastings and drinks in the afternoon but um yeah and it's sort of just been a way of being able to introduce people to the property again um for that has been around for a while but just bringing in a new crowd and sort of showcasing our wine with food which we always find really important it's not that often myself that i just sit there drinking the wines without it and i think it's mm. it, it's an integral part of the wine making the thought of the wine making process as well of you know is are our reds when we think about tannins in reds or the acidity of whites, um, not just thinking about how does it feel in our palate now, how does it feel when we're when we're consuming alongside food. So we just always felt it's the best way of showcasing it. But um, in terms of the environment, it's it's a, it, we are a family business. So um, I've got mum and dad cooking in the kitchen, and it's sort of myself and some friends working on the floor, and it's really trying to just showcase that kind of style of of food. There's lots of really I mean, incredible restaurants with really talented chefs on the peninsula, but I think it's yeah. a slightly different offering that we can we can provide is that more traditional family style of food and service. I, I love that. I mean, I actually met your mum, Libby, and, um, yep. and she was she was just gorgeous. The fact, I mean, uh, were either of your parents chefs in a past life, or is no, it just they just had a natural knack? <laughs> um, no, more, yeah, really you know, excellent cooks is what we'd... I'd, Probably classify my parents. I'm, I'm a I'm a big, tall, six foot boy, and I think that's you know all down to the fact that I was well fed as a kid, and I think it's sort of nice that we can share that with everyone else. Oh, look, absolutely! That's a that's a great little differentiator. You are right. There are some absolutely outstanding restaurants um, in in the Mornington, but what you offer is a is, is a very casual and yet high quality experience. Especially yep. like the situation of your property and the cellar door is it's very beautiful, and it feels. What I really loved is that it has a far more relaxed feel to it. Um, I think I, I love Mornington, and you know I, I'd live there if I could. But I guess it it is quite. Um, well, it's really you know working to the consumer, and it's, it's it's a hard kind of hard kind of gig to get people to you and and not for them to go elsewhere. But you've retained very relaxed, rustic kind of approach, and um and it clearly works for you. Yeah. Uh, we, 
We have just had a text in from Christopher. We love you, Christopher. Um, Christopher said, hi, Jill. A question for James about the Half Acre Pinot Noir. I absolutely mm -hmm. love that wine. What makes that wine so special? Uh, a multitude of things, but I think, I guess it's where it's located. Um, so the the Half Acre Block, it's the original planting of Pinot Noir on the peninsula, so the vine's coming up to about 50 years of age now, and to be perfectly honest, showing very little sign of that. They've, they've always been well-structured vines in probably the prime location on the property. So mm -hmm. um, where we situated, so we're part of a valley that makes up the main ridgeline throughout the Mornington Peninsula, but um, I guess what makes it a little bit different from some of the other main ridge vineyards within the region is it gets to bask on this due north-facing slope. Um, it sits directly on the ridgeline, so um, despite... The high altitudes are about 240 metres up. We get this wonderful sun exposure and we get nice dry rocky soils up there. And I think the combination of the two just always provides us with this fruit that has all the sort of the structural integrity of a cool climate Pinot side. It has good natural acid, you know, firmer tannins, but then we can push into dark savoury fruit aromas and get this wonderful concentration of them as well. Um, so, and I think, yeah, from... Day, year in, year out, there will be other parts of the vineyard that will you know, have their little hiccups, whether that be through disease, pressure or poor fruit set. But the half acre always just seems to shine through all of that and um, reward us with fruit that, I mean, there's no real tricks in the winemaking. The, you know, the natural fermentation, they're unfined, they're unfiltered. So it is quite a raw expression of Pinot Noir. But it, um, yeah, it always just seems to be quite rewarding with fairly minimal effort on our behalf. So it's a you know, true testament to a good vineyard site. I've got to say that's that's the one that I walked away with a couple of bottles of myself, and um, yeah. and you know I'm I'm not, I'm not going to you know I'll have to be honest. You know, a hundred dollars a bottle, you're expecting yep. it to be good, but it certainly is. It, it it really really is. So that's the half acre. How's the half mm. acre compared to the acre? Because they're still the same vintage, right? We're back on the twenty-two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. look, the. I mean, they're remarkably similar, the two sites. They sit adjacent to each other. Um, the, in terms of the clones of Pinot in the site, it is a bit of a, a masal. There is a mix of different clones of a fairly similar mix on both sites. Um, for me, the driving difference, our vineyard, so we're up in the hinterlands, there's rolling hills and valleys. So as I mentioned, the acre on the crest of a hill, but the, the sorry, the half acre on the crest of a hill, but then the acre, they're vines that dip into a valley. And um, we just... As a result of that, you just find the soils down there. They're a little bit more sort of alluvial wash soils. They um, they do tend to stay a bit colder and, and wetter during the ripening period. And mm -hmm. that just seems to be that the Pinot off that site um, always has more of that bright red fruit. It has a bit more spice as well. Um, and yeah. really, when making them, the idea is that it's not barrel selecting. We're not looking for two... Uh, entry level and reserve wine. It's it's looking to showcase and highlight those two different sites and um, and really there are certain years where uh, the half acre. I think its reputation will always ha you always see more demand from it. But I think in the lineup when we're making the wines, there has been plenty of years where the acre is actually probably quietly has just been the probably been the stronger of the wine of the two. But and it's yeah, yeah right. It, no, it mm. just it just depends. I I think from my my memory, uh, the half acre just seemed so refined. That's yeah. probably how I'd say, like it was just such an elegant, refined wine. Um, but yeah, both very, very, very similar, similar price and beautiful. You also have the Truman Vineyard, uh, vineyard Pinot Noir, and I'd like to hear your take on that. Yeah, um, so that's a relatively 
new project for us. It was a vineyard site that we took on in 2021. Um, and it's uh, an older site. It's an older site for the region. It was planted by John and Julie Truman in the early 90s. Um, it's a smaller three-acre site. And it's, I mean, it's a site we took on because the Trumans are good neighbours and good friends of ours. Um, mm. And when they offered us our fr- their fruit, well, it just had lots of appeal. It, they, it was a three acres of Chardonnay and Pinot, so what we like to work with. Um, mm. I could get them on my tractor without registering it by cutting through another's property, which is <laughs> incredibly handy. Um, but then also we could um, bring the fruit into the winery, treat it the same as our own and get you know, dramatically different wines. And that's just due to, rather than being on this north-facing aspect, it's an east-facing vineyard. Um, so it does have its challenges because it's one of the coldest sites on the peninsula. It's usually the last mm. fruit to be picked in the region. But the wines right. that come off it, you know, we get these Chardonnays with, you know, really focused acidity to them and freshness and Pinot Noirs with all this sort of lovely, delicate spice complexity, um, but in a sort of a, a lighter, more approachable style. And it's just, um, yeah, a, a new challenge for us, but one that we're really enjoying. Yeah, good. So just on that, you just mentioned the picking is um, for the Truman Vineyard is a bit later. So Mm -hmm. uh, would I be right in saying that the half acre and the acre, you know, you're probably picking them March-ish, but then maybe like three, four weeks later you're doing the Truman? Yeah, um, so the Truman... Typically, the site on warmer years, um, we'll start picking our fruit mid-March, but on the cooler years that we've been experiencing, we don't tend to be starting to pick anything until the first week of April. And, mm-hmm. yeah, the Truman Vineyard's always sort of in the, the latter half of April, um, even on warmer years. And um, I think this year, when was it, in 21, I think we are already pushing into May to pick some of that fruit. So um, you have to be quite attentive in the vineyard just with that longer ripening time. But if yes. um, once you can pull it off, it's pretty yeah, satisfying and rewarding because it's quite a, a generous vineyard in terms of its yields. It's um, a very vigorous site. So, um, yeah, we're always looking forward to getting that fruit in. So 2023 as as mm-hmm. a, a vintage for you guys that um, it was it was you know like it was for for many regions around Australia it was a challenging year also producing some great fruit but really producing like seriously like lower yields how has that has that impacted you quite quite a bit? Um, yeah, I think I mean the true impacts of that will will be in the years to come because at the moment they're sort of still in barrel and um but yeah we we probably saw with Pinot's a drop in yield by about 30 40% of our long term average and Chardonnay's mm. even more so um right. I mean luckily the ripening like with the quality of the fruit that came in was fantastic so um it was quite an easy wine making process but it's it's been a bit of a continued story and we're unfortunately seeing it in patches of our vineyards again this year and it's um basically since 2020, this sort of lingering La Nina period that should hopefully, would have, we thought would go, was going to be clearing, but has kind of lingered around with these big wet weather events has really mm. wreaked havoc for a lot of vineyards up around here in terms of yeah, the, the quantities of fruit that we're producing. Um, the, the plus side is that, you know, they've We've been able to get long extended ripenings that have given us wonderful fruit flavours and overall being able to manage that fruit with very little disease. So the quality of the wine's been there. Um, it's, yeah, it's that horrible, tra- that a not frustrating thing where you are producing these you know, wines that you're really happy with, but they disappear from your cellars far too quickly. And it's, um, you know, the, the ultimate would be to make lots of nice wine, I think. <laughs> that, that, that is the ultimate. So what sort yeah. of production, uh, what, what quantities uh, do you have out of 23? 
23. I've probably... So my total Chardonnay production was down to, I think, seven barrels that year, and we'd usually like to be wow. seeing, you know, 18 barrels. And then mm. Pinot Noir, off the, I think we probably have about 15 barrels down there, um, but we'd ideally like to be seeing, you know, 20, 25 barrels worth for that production yeah. of the year. So, yeah, not not so ideal. Yeah. But, uh, how, is, how is this uh, recent vintage um, looking to you? Um, this upcoming one? That yes. We're, yeah. yeah. Um, so far, I think, I mean, everything, the vines are incredibly healthy. Um, we've managed to keep, despite these sort of challenging wet weather conditions, we've kept all disease pressure under control. Um, and so the, in terms of the, the canopy, they're all looking well set to actually give us a nice little ripening period. Um, unfortunately, the big thing that happened this year is I think you might recall about oh, in that late December we had some really big thunderstorms came through and uh, reminded me of more sort of Sydney, northeast Queensland weather and as a result we've <laughs> just seen some patches throughout the vineyard of, depending on where the vines were at, some less than ideal flowering that's happened out mm. there. So we're just finding a lot of bunches where we'd usually like to see 100 odd berries on the bunch. We're finding 30, 40 berries on the bunch. So that's again going to impact yield. Um, but a lot of those berries as well, they're, they're quite small. So, what, mm. once again, impacting yield, but Great in fruit. terms of quality, yeah, concentration of flavour will be a really, especially in reds, will be a huge factor of this year. And um, these types of years, as long as you know Mother Nature keeps on playing fair, we can produce some really lovely wines from that. That's right. That's right. It's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> Everyone play fair. Um, I have yeah. a message that has come in from another avid listener of ours, Michael from Brisbane. He says, hi, Jill. Michael from Brisbane here. I've loved the show today. I visited Main Ridge Estate. It's such a gorgeous cellar door. Christopher just asked my question. So please just pass on my congratulations to Main Ridge for a great all-round experience. Oh, oh good. Nice. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. There you go. See, doing something right. Um, so I've got a question for you on your Pinot Meunier because I am yep. quite a fan. Um, and you obviously, you know, we don't see a lot. We don't see a lot of the mono. Can you can you tell us about yours? Yeah. So, um, so the vineyard when it was planted back in the mid seventies, there was um, at the time there was no other. Well, there was only one or, one or two other vineyards in the region. They were planted in the lower, warmer sites of the area. And um, there was a bit of concern if you were going to plant up at the top of the hill that there'd be issues getting fruit ripe for table wine. So um, alongside the Chardonnay and the Pinot Noir that was planted, some Rosa Pinot Meunier were added um, with the thought that if it was the site proved not suitable for table wines, it could be a sparkling vineyard. But um, from the very first year, we've the decision was to make a red wine from it. And um, it's we don't have many vines. There's about 200 vines out there. And so... On a good year, we'd you know, like to see maybe three, 400 kilos, which is usually only enough for a barrel. Um, anyone who's worked in wineries and had to handle those small ferments knows that they're, they're tricky. Um, so they take a lot of, despite the small scale of them, they do take up a lot of your time and attention. Yeah. But um, mm-hmm. it's something that we we do every year because we thoroughly enjoy drinking that, that, sing, that single barrel wine for ourselves. Um, but the... I find Meunier a really fascinating variety. As you say, there's not much of it around, but when you do see a bottle, I always want to grab it and have a look. And one of the things that interests me is it just seems to be a variety that um, varies so much from region to region. A, a, a yeah. Yarra Valley or a Great North, even just throughout Victoria, um, if you head up north, they can be incredibly concentrated structured wines. Um, but the ones I tend to find 
well, for ours, we it's a wine that we get, you know, wonderful fruit intensity, but compared to Pinot Noir, the, the tannins are a lot softer and you get really sort of pretty floral aromas that come into it as well. So, um, you know, probably a wine that might not have the great cellaring ability of what we like to get into our other reds, but um, if you just if you can get it with just two, three years of age on it, it's just a wine that's thoroughly enjoyable in a quite yep. you know, hedonistic way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely agree. Um, and, and yours is yours would be absolutely gorgeous. So, considering mm. that you have all the ingredients to make an excellent sparkling, um, you just mentioned before, like you could have, but you've chosen yeah. not to. Is that something that we could look forward to seeing in the future? Um, I have made a couple of sparklings, um, but I'm a blanc de blanc man. So when I do, I tend to just use Chardonnay for it. And um, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's something I've considered, but then I'd be sacrificing making the red wine from the Meunier. So it's, um, if I did go down that path, yeah, I'd probably just be looking at making it a, Chard- a sparkling Chardonnay. But um, at, th- at this stage, though, uh, to, you know, to make a truly good sparkly requires a slightly different winery operation set up and it's probably not something that we're fully kitted out to do at the moment. So, um, and yeah, maybe in the future if I can get some access to some more fruit, it would be something I consider because I don't mind a glass of sparkling every now and then and it's sometimes cheaper to make your own. <laughs> and, and yeah, who doesn't? And you just mentioned that you're, you're a Blanc de Blanc man. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Blanc de Blanc girl. So um, tell me some of your yeah. favourites. Uh, uh, look, a lot of naturally a lot of grow producers out of Champagne. Um, I think Leher is one of the the Leher family. They make I think some really stunning wines that I do like to keep an eye on for those producers. Um, but yeah, I think locally though I, I'm always quite enjoyed the Tasmanian sparklings too. Clover Hill is a real passionate favourite of mine. That always have a few of them in my cellar too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, what about um, some Mornington Peninsula? Sparkling. Yeah, well, uh, look, at the moment in the restaurant, um, I pay tribute to the original vineyard for the region, LG Park, which was the Bay Meyer family's vineyard. Um, that nowadays, um, Gerald E. McFall makes a lot of their wines for them, and yeah, their 2019 spark, their brute sparkling, I think, is insanely good value for what, what for yes. what the quality of wine that they offer. Morning um, mm-hmm. to Finchler sparkling toys. It's a it is a, a tricky one for the area with the price of fruit. Trying to get that price right for for sparkling wines um, can be challenging for a lot, just because the I guess the, the labour involved in produce and the time involved in yeah. producing a sparkling. But when you can get one of that quality for that price point, I think it's yeah worth worth Absolutely. having a look at. I have to say, I'm quite a fan of the Ten Minutes by Tractor, Blanc de Bob. Of course, if you can so, if you can get a bottle, it can be if quite you can get a, Yeah, yeah, they basically have to get to cellar door, don't you? So I, when, yep. uh, the day I visited you, I think the day before I'd been to um, Ten Minutes, and uh, you know, I've got this just the wine sound there. You guys are doing such an amazing job. Um, and actually, I, I did read something. This is another beautiful testament to uh, the wines that you're producing. Um, I think it might have been a James Halliday or a Tyson who said the Grand Cru Vineyard of the Mornington Peninsula, that is Main Ridge Estate. That's a, that's a yeah. very beautiful, bold statement. Do you do you agree with that? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, Halliday wrote that once and I think it's a, a quote that we quite enjoy. Um, look, I... It's something that I think when you look at sort of the, the classifications of Burgundy and um, what tends to generate Grand Cru sites is, 
you know, their location and their ability to consistently make good wines. And, um, you know, that was something that I had to be a custodian of. We'll take over that 10 years ago. And I think we're, we're still being able to produce high quality wines now. And um, when a site can do that for 50 plus years, uh, I mean, we don't have those typical classifications in the country, but I think if, you know, if they were to do it for the region, I think it, it's a vineyard site that would naturally come up for discussion for it. But um, if a man like Halliday wants to say it first, I'll, I'll, I'll shout it from the rooftop. You, you, you'll Fine. take it. You'll take it. Yeah, yeah I'll be yeah. quoting that everywhere. Um, well, look, I'm very aware that in five minutes you're opening cellar door and you do yeah. have 50 people Sorry. coming for lunch. Just very, very quickly, uh, what's Sounds on the like menu today? Uh, what's on the menu today? Um, what, so the lunches for us, um, so we try keep it sort of an extended lunch, so it's a, it's a set menu that people enjoy. Um, they, but they sit down um, where they'll be enjoying sort of a little selection of local local influence snacks, so just some uh, bread from Miller's Bakery, some Mainridge olive oil, um, some local olives, and um, Dad's decided to make just because the weather has finally turned warm a really beautiful sort of summer gazpacho that people can chill down with oh, and then nice. they get to tuck into a selection of sharing dishes at the at the moment which um we're getting some uh, as someone who doesn't even really like smoked salmon some amazing smoked salmon that i'm enjoying but um that comes from aura king which they yeah produce some of the world's best salmon at the moment um one of my personal favorite mums been making them for years. We make these lovely little crab and leek pasties that people can have using spanner crabs. So really delicious, sweet pasties. Um, and yeah, maybe a nice bit of grilled lamb loin to finish off. But it's very yeah, homely, simple food is what people will be enjoying. Well, it sounds amazing. I hope you have a very successful day. I'm sure everything will go swimmingly. Glad to hear you're getting some nicer weather. And yep. um, look, just thank you so much for joining us uh, on the show. I know you've got a busy day ahead, so we really appreciate it, James. Anytime. Thanks, Jill.